Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I don't want to make empty promises to, to the residents of Illinois without identifying what the issues are. My God, you're <laughs> clueless, Richard Urban. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! For some, I didn't know who that was. I'm like, who is that? <laughs> and then you said, Richard. Oh, Kenny G's candidate. Yeah. <laughs> Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, March 10th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union. Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Rounder. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from Ben Jarofsky. And food columns, right? I remember they talked about that egg roll. Mike Sula. Oh, man. The great, the immortal, the legendary Mike Sula. Check it out. Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V is in victory. S-K-Y. Isn't that right, Richard Irving? I don't want to make empty promises to to the residents of Illinois without identifying what the issues are. Fair enough. (laughs) It is Thursday, March 10th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. your host maybe where you at okay there he is chicago reader columnist ben jarofsky hey, hello everybody ben jarofsky here we're calling this in praise of matt again what is today thursday and here's why my guest david moore is joining me i guess david moore is joining me before i bring him on we just say this uh i did a little experiment uh d i wrote a, a column uh praising Michael Joseph Madigan. Yeah, I praise Michael Joseph Madigan. It's really uh, not much different than things I've said on the show. So I say all the time. He's a very mixed legacy. Uh, he should have been uh, bounced, in my humble opinion, as uh, Speaker of the House uh, after Elena Hampton went public uh, with her accusations about how he overlooked uh, obvious uh, case of sexual harassment in uh, his office. But anyway, everybody's piling on him now. You know, he's in the indictment. It's like every day there's more piling on the Sun-Times, the Tribune, the BGA, all the news stations. Let's just pile on Mad Dog. The Republicans sending out press release after press release. I said, you know what? I'm going to go in the other direction. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in the other direction and say something nice about Matt again. So kind of like the mixed record thing. So, you know, D, I, I wrote it up. The reader dutifully edited it, and they put it out there. Uh, I go, you know what? I'm going to post this on Facebook and see if anybody likes it. You know what I'm saying, D? Yeah, yeah. How'd that go? How'd that go? <laughs> well, to give you an example, uh, last week I did the same thing with an uh, column about the Bulls, my beloved Chicago Bulls, okay? You know, everybody's liking that one. Everybody likes the Bulls. Bulls like, Bulls like, Bulls like. So today I did another view of Michael Joseph Madigan. 
You know, that's not piling on like everybody else in the state of Illinois is piling on right now. Nobody's like, no, one person liked it, D. Everybody's running away from that column. Oh, Ben, you've gone too far. You said something <laughs> nice about Michael Joseph Madigan. All right, Dems, I'm just going to say this to you before we bring on my distinguished guest, the alderman of the 17th Ward is running for Secretary of State. I just want to say this to you, Dems. You're all running away from Michael Joseph Madigan, but he was the only one who stood up to Rauner. I'm just reminding reminding you of that. I know you like to rewrite history, uh, but he was the one who stood up to Rauner. So listen, I have my issues with Madigan for many, many years, and I know I was no fan of that organization, and there are those who say I lost a job because of <laughs> criticizing Madigan. But don't rewrite history, Dems. You know, I know it's uh, can't, it's it's pound on Madigan uh, week since the feds indicted him, but man. Yeah, I, I didn't like them. And then he want to take away like these projects that uh, that supposedly Madigan pushed through the house. And I was like, only Madigan got them through. And now, oh, we're going to veto them. We're going to pull the money back. Do you guys even study it to know what the projects are funding? Do local people want the projects? Has there any thought to this or is this just going to be a reaction to anything Madigan does? And I'll just before I bring on the Secretary of State candidate, I just have to say one last thing. Oh, you're before on one today, read, buddy. You are on well, one today. I read one article about how Madigan swapped jobs with Commonwealth Edison to bury some legislation about ten years ago uh, and uh, help veto Pat Quinn's legislation uh, regarding ComEd. I just like to point out that a lot of Republicans voted for that uh, against Pat Quinn and that. Talk about rewriting history. So, okay, let's assume that the feds are right. And Madigan swapped his votes for uh, jobs with Comet for his cronies. What do the Republicans get for screwing the, the rate payers of Illinois? I'd like to know, hey, feds, while you're doing your investigation, why don't you take a look into that? Anyway, don't get me started, D. The rewriting of history with Michael Joseph Madigan. My next guest is not rewriting history because he's consistent to what he says uh, always. I've known him for many, many years. He's the alderman of the 17th Ward. He's the pride and joy of Simeon High School. David Moore, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ben. It's real good to see you, Dennis. Hey, hey. Um, just, good, just really good to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I, uh, I'm reaching out to you uh, because I believe uh, that first of all, let's just guarantee, assure everybody that you are absolutely voting for, uh, excuse me, running for secretary of state. You filed your petitions. You're ready to go. Am I correct in all that? You know what? It is. So it's, it's a good question that you started that because from day one, when I entered in, um, the rumors that were there and, and it's, and it's, and it's usually when you're not a part of the establishment, um, that's what they say. First, I was a person that was put in by Alexi Janulius to take votes away from Pat Dow. How, who, who could fathom, even fathom that of anybody that knows me? And then it was, um, well, I'm not really um, um, serious about um, running. Um, I'm just in there trying to make a name for myself. What? Uh, that's the last thing I need to do. I was David Moore before I was Alderman David Moore. David Moore made Alderman David Moore. So I didn't need to make a name for myself. Then it was, well, it's hard out here to get petitions. You got to have organizations. You got to have this and that. And yes, as a person who's helped many people throughout my lifetime give signatures, um, it was challenging, but we put people together from across the state then 
not just in the 17th Ward, not just in Chicago, not just in Cook County, but if you go look at my petition sheet, you're going to see Peoria, you're going to see Kane County, you're going to see St. Clair County, you, you're going to see um, uh, Rockford, you're going to see every, um, we almost hit every piece of this uh, part of this state where we got signatures from. So if I'm not serious, I don't know who is. And then not only that, you needed 3,250 minimum signatures to get on the ballot. We turned in 5,884 signatures, close to 6,000 signatures, Ben. Uh, am I serious? Yes. And, and, and it's unfortunate that when you come out of grassroots, when you are not tied to anybody but the people, it's unfortunate that that question have, has to be even asked, and, it, and it's disheartening. But we're going to continue to show them like we showed them when I ran for alderman and I wasn't a part of the establishment then. And I'm gonna, we're going to continue to do this for the people because it's got to be somebody in that state government, Ben, that has a voice for the people and not just part of the politics. Well, I uh, I just wanted to say this about David Moore. Uh, he is a bit of a maverick. So if you like somebody like John McCain, uh, not for his political <laughs> views, but for his independence. Uh, you might want to give more uh, a, a look. And I say this, David Moore, because I appreciate the fact uh, that uh, you took that stand, not only against Rahm Emanuel on the TIF funds, but against Father Flager in that one particular moment. And that was sticking your neck out. I remember uh, I slept down to the war. We drove all around. Uh, all right. We took a look at uh, how the money was being spent. Uh, so that was my, my introduction to you. And uh, so, yeah, he's a bit of a maverick. He doesn't uh, he doesn't follow orders. Let's put it that way. Uh, and uh, all right. There was a very interesting article uh, that my dear friend Delmarie Cobb alerted me to. Uh, so uh, thank you, Delmarie. Uh, Delmarie, of course, is uh, your spokesperson on your campaign. And it was in the Chicago magazine. And it talked about how uh, Jesse White, the very popular, perhaps most popular politician, elected official in the state of Illinois, stepping down as secretary of state. And what made him unique is that he did not use the secretary of state's office uh, as a launching pad for uh, something else. And uh, the last time we were on the show, you said, I, David Moore, am not using this as a launching pad for something else. Uh, so let's talk about that. It's clear to me that your two higher profile opponents in the Democratic Party, Alexei Julianulas and Anna Valencia, are definitely using this as a launching pad for something else, better or worse. Uh, what's your position on the Secretary of State's office as like a helpful tool to get to a different office? You know what? This, this is why I am the only one in this race that back in 1997 circulated petitions for Secretary of State Jesse White, because after that office had been marred in corruption, I said, there's a seat that has to be independent, a, 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 a seat that's really nonpartisan, serving everybody. And it's about service, not about getting to that next stepping stone. And and what I believed in Secretary of State White then, and I, I, I supported him, I got signatures for him, I helped campaign out there for him, he got elected, and guess what? He stood true to his word. He did not use it as a stepping stone. And so as it relates to me, I, I don't, that's, that's the one seat that should not be used uh, as a stepping stone. And like I told people, and it was written in Crane's auto, they, they first they miswrote in there because they didn't even mention me, unfortunately. And they said, there's no candidate 
who said they're not using this for a stepping stone when in fact I was the first and only one to say um, that I am not using this as a stepping stone. It's 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 my last stop. And we got to bring these young people up and not be afraid um, to do that. And so I'm saying it on this show again. I I'm not using this as a stepping stone. Don't want to be governor. Don't want to be a, a, a senator, a U.S. senator. I just want to serve people. And just like as an alderman, that's what attracts me to this secretary of state seat. It's a servant seat. Um, you can serve everybody, regardless of whatever party you are, whatever real race are, whatever your views are, anything. You just serve people because they are people. And that's what I'm interested in. Talk a little bit about what it is about the secretary of state's office that it does that attracts you to it. Absolutely. First and foremost, that uh, uh, goes back to being making sure that seat stays a servant seat and a servant's role. And so in that secretary of state's office, you hear me talk about the service of the secretary of state, the business of the secretary of state and the responsibility of the secretary of state. And those three buckets, the re- the servant seat, I don't have to be in a position where I have to be just pro-Democrat or all of that, because not everything that as we're seeing with the a discussion that you were talking about that all Democrats do the right thing all the time. And so it's about service and making sure that um, the presidents that come into the secretary of state's office know about all 20 departments that's within that secretary of state's office. Most people don't just know about that secretary of state's office as driver services. They have few people who know about it as business services who are establishing business, but there's very few people that know that the secretary of state is the state librarian. There's very few people know that the Secretary of State is the one who maintains all the buildings at the Capitol, including protecting them uh, and the Capitol Police, as well as the Secretary of State Police. And so making sure that it's transparent for the everybody throughout the state, that there's equity in hiring, equity in contracting throughout the state, that's what attracts me to that. But also, when I talk about the business of the Secretary of State, well, a lot of people don't know, but some that have looked at my resume and I put my resume up against any candidate that's in this race. I spent 10 years as an accountant at Fortune 500 companies, including Ralston Perina, including Clorox Company, including Avery Dennison Corporation. I'm not a career politician and definitely nobody carried me. I worked hard to get where I am today. Um, uh, no doors were open. No, no favors were given to me. And so I want to make sure I use my accounting and operations skill to run an effective and efficient operation. Because one thing I do know, Ben, as you know, there is waste in government. But who's going to be the one to say that? Who's going to be the one to call that out and point that out? I will, so that I can make sure that taxpayers, that we not keep raising fees on licenses and stickers. That's what I'm going to do, and that's what attracts me to that seat. And then there's the responsibility of the Secretary of State, making sure that somebody at that state can have a voice. You, as, a, as, a, as an elected official, you have to use your voice on issues that impact people and not be afraid to say something. And I say, well, that's not my area. I'm going to stick to just giving out driver's licenses. No, you have to. People expect you to speak up and say something. And I'm going to use that voice to do that, to protect voting rights. I'm going to use that voice to make sure I was the first one to talk about opening up 122 youth engagement offices at all 122 driving facilities so that our young people, our young adults, can know about civic engagement, giving them a seat and a voice at the table, because 
they're the ones then who are going to be able to change what's going on here. So that's what attracts me to this seat. Wow. Uh, that last bit, let's uh, take a deeper dive in that. We're using the, uh, the the position itself, a very prominent position to speak out on other issues. Uh, I was, uh, we did a show last week uh, talking about, or earlier this week, I should say, uh, talking about the most recent city council meeting. Uh, uh, Alderman Moore, remind everybody, 17th Board Alderman David Moore, uh, in which uh, Jesse White was honored. And uh, there was about two hours, I want to say, of testimony yes. delivered uh, on his behalf. And uh, and then we did other segments of the city council meeting, very contentious debates. So when Jesse White was being honored, it was nothing but we love you, Jesse White. Then you right, got into right. issues about policing, you got issues of crime. My good old, my old pal, Nick Pizzato started irritating people. People got irritated, <laughs> Lori Life, whatever, what's bad. And I made the observation, which I said, the reason why, one of the reasons why Jesse White is so loved is he stayed out of every single one of those contentious issues. Contentious I have issues, never right. heard Jesse White talk about, you know, whether uh, policing standards, like uh, whether police are being unfair uh, to folks that they pick up and uh, hold in jail overnight, et cetera, and so forth. I've never heard him take a stand on all these contentious issues, TIF issues that were before the council. Ray Lopez brought up about the Aldi and Jason Irvin's ward. And so I say to you, uh, David Moore, if you really, if you're going to replicate the career of Jesse White and be as popular as he is, it seems to me you have to avoid hot button issues. Your response to that. What I, you didn't hear me say, I wanted to be a replica of him. What I, uh, what you would hear me say is I'm standing on his shoulders. And when you're standing on somebody's shoulders, you have to do better and you have to be better. And they expect you to because you're standing on their shoulders. Other people saying we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesse, uh, Secretary White. I never said I was going to follow in the footsteps of Secretary White. I always said I'm standing on his shoulders. So where he served, I'm going to be a better servant. Where he gave, I'm going to be a better giver. But where where he didn't raise his voice, I am going to raise my voice. I am going to speak out and talk and say issues because when you don't, the least of us get left behind. The least of us because what's happening is there are so many people are dealing with it on a partisan basis or on a special interest basis versus on the people basis. And you look at things like what's going on in East St. Louis. East St. Louis looks like what's going on uh, um, right now in Ukraine. When you're talking about a place that don't have a hospital, a grocery store, looking like some in cases like a third world country, somebody should be saying something. You cannot let you cannot let that go. And so and so as secretary of state, at least I will bring it to light and say, OK, governor, what are we doing about this? What are we going to do to improve East St. Louis? Somebody has to say something. You can't be you cannot be silent. I, I'm just reminded what Dr. King said. I will not remember the words of my enemies, but I won't forget the silence of my friends. I won't be silent. Yes, Dr. King in 1963, a letter from Birmingham jail. All right, uh, let's talk about a pathway to victory. Uh, and to be Secretary of State, the first uh, hurdle you must clear, obviously, is this Democratic primary in June. Uh, your two opponents got a lot of money, Alexi Janulius yes. and Anna Valencia, and they have some big-time endorsements. Uh, Anna Valencia was endorsed uh, by Governor Pritzker and Jesse White. Uh, and uh, Junulius has a lot of union endorsements, et cetera, and so forth. And uh, he is a money raising machine. Uh, so how are you, David Moore, 
without the big name endorsements uh, and without uh, the big money, uh, how are you going to defeat them in that hey. June primary call? Thank you so much, Ben. And and it's it's part of changing that system. It's part of what happened when I became alderman. Um, everybody, you don't have this person with you. You don't have that person with you. Um, you don't. You can't raise two hundred thousand um, dollars. And we overcame that. Yes, this is a larger scale, but you know what? They said we wouldn't get those signatures. We would only get them in the 17th Ward. We would only get them in Cook County. Well, guess what? Again, we traveled all across the state, and we got people helping us all across this state. People make the difference. And what and as we get this message out, being, and I appreciate being on here, is that it's not so much the individual. People are tired of the system. And so as you were talking about Speaker Madigan, you cannot talk about Speaker Madigan without talking about the system that allowed a Speaker Madigan. And that's, that's, that's what you have to say. So you can't beat up the individual if you don't deal with the system. That's why you hear people say, no matter who get in office, it's the same thing. The reason why is because you're allowing the system, the systematic of endorsements, the systematic of money, the systematic of organizations who have special interests to put their people in. And when the people rise up and select the person that they want, that they want, that's why this young vote is going to be so critical to this race. What's going to make me happy more than anything, and I want to be that elected person, but what's going to ha- make me happy more than anything is when I wake up on February 29th, they say this vote was decided by people 35 and under, that they made the difference, because that's what it's going to take. And so that is our pathway, reaching those new voters, reaching those people who are tired of Okay, I'm tired of this this system of putting people in. When you look at my resume, when you look at my resume, I'm I'm going to say this. Being is anything wrong with being rich? No, a lot of us want to be. Okay? But my my who I am mirrors what most of Illinois mirror. Most of all of us are not rich. So will my child still be able to get through what David is going through without being rich? Most people want to be able to see that. Um Am I a person who got carried with um, Senator Durbin's hand? When I went to college, I didn't know about legislative scholarships because I wasn't connected like that. I wish I would have. Is there anything wrong with getting a legislative scholarship? No, it isn't. But majority of the people throughout the state are not going to get them. It's cut out now, but they, they didn't have privy to that. So it's nothing wrong with my opponent going through college that she got four years of legislative scholarship. I didn't have that connection. I had to work jobs like most people in Illinois. I had to be an RA in college like like a lot of people in Illinois. I had to take out a student loan like most people in Illinois to get through. And then when I got in office, did I get appointed to alderman, my aldermanic seat? No, I didn't get appointed. I had to run hard against the establishment, running with the people to get elected. I didn't get appointed to my seat. So I wasn't, my hand wasn't held. And so when it comes to when people look, I am battle tested and proven more than, clearly more than my two opponents. And that's what that's going to be. People are going to look at that. And that's going to be my pathway to victory, um, Ben. Wow. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to take a moment of appreciation uh, for what David Moore just did. Let's just pause and think about it, because Michael Madigan is being pilloried right now on the front pages of all the newspapers. Everybody's jumping on him, David, because he's down. And when the when the big yeah. guy is down, literally, uh, metaphorically speaking, because he's not even mean he's big in stats size. Right. When the big guy is down, everybody picks on him. But that system you're talking about. 
it's like the same mentality. Everybody's saying, okay, we're pounding Madigan, but we're endorsing Giannulias and Valencia. Man, the Sun-Times loves Anna Valencia so much. Not only they're like advancing her as a mayoral candidate. Well, if she loses the secretary of state, Ray, I don't know if you saw that or she could always run for mayor. And I'm saying there is something about the mentality in this state, David Moore, where we're right. like, we're pounding Madigan right now. Right. But that system that produced system. Madigan and that he controlled. Oh, oh, we have to take somebody from that system. Otherwise, the whole state will fall apart. And who is this guy if he's not in the system? That is deep, David Moore. That is very yes, deep. Absolutely. And uh, it's absolutely. also going to be very difficult when you get to the re- – let's say you somehow or other defeat Valencia uh, and uh, Alexi. you got to go up against Republican. You're going to go up against somebody with Kenny G's money, Ken Griffin's money. We talk about this all the time in the show. He plucked Richard Irvin out of Aurora. No, ever heard of him before. He's propping him up. He's got someone propped up in the Secretary of State's office. They are going to run campaign ads. They're going to talk crime, 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 crime. When they're done, they're going to make it seem as though you, David Moore, were responsible for the crime in the streets of Chicago. That whoever, uh, that J.B. Pritzker himself is, like, responsible for the crime in Chicago. How are you going to deal with that? How do you deal with that when you view, when you think about uh, the campaign season that's ahead? Absolutely. So when we, when we, when we win this primary, and then it's, it's, it's with the um, hopeless no doubt that the people that – have the money in the within the Democratic Party, or there's Republicans. I got crossover appeal as well, um, and I got from people don't know. I lived in the Quad Cities um, for a while when I was an RA in college, and that's why I announced that I was um, um, running um, from West Illinois. My friends throughout this state came out, both Democrat and Republican. And give me one second, because my batteries, uh, for some reason, this thing wasn't plugged in. I apologize. Go ahead. He's plugging in his thing. And meanwhile, my next guest, Peter Cunningham, is already reaching out. Uh, he wants his invite. So go ahead, uh, David. Yeah, I, I apologize for that. And so and so I, I have crossover appeal because I connect with with Republicans as well, because this is a servant seat. And that's what I'm going back to. I'm not I'm not a polarizing figure like your other two candidates are going to be. One of the things, and listen to this. This is, we all announced last, around last May that we were getting in this race, correct? And so the Republicans, especially Brady, um, didn't announce to, well, much later on. So they got to look at everything that we were doing, looking at everything that we were saying. And so um, Durkin, this is what he said, the minority leader. He said, this Secretary of State's um, seat is a perfect seat. But Jim Durkin, he said, because this is a constituent driven seat. He said, I have not, I don't know anybody else who served their constituents better than Durkin. In other words, he was counting me out or don't know me. He was looking at my two opponents and they're going to run this thing based on a constituent service. That's how I know I'm going to win because nobody in this state serve my constituents the way I serve them. Not only my other constituents throughout this state. And so that's how we're going to win that 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 um, in the um, general election as well. All right, Alderman David Moore, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, you never ducked or dodged a question in all these years. So best of luck to you. All right, David? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And people can go to my website, www.moreforillinois.com. Get involved. Get a yard sign, window sign, volunteer, donate. Thank you. 
All right, very good. David Moore, I was my guest. He's running for Secretary of State. Now I'm turning my next guest, uh, another old friend, Peter Cunningham, PC, we call him. The man, the myth, the legend, uh, the brains, if you will, behind Daly, Rom, and Arnie Duncan. He hates it when I say it, and I love saying it. <laughs> Where, where, Peter, where are you at a banquet hall or something? You're walking. I am. I'm at Maggiano's. I was here for a lunch with uh, Jens Ludwig talking about crime from the crime lab. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, well, I'm good, uh, glad to have you here. The, it's very fortuitous. Uh, Peter comes on the show all the time. We talk about politics. We talk about criminal justice issues. It's one of his passions. Uh, just to remind everybody, uh, he was a speechwriter for Mayor Daley back in the 90s. He was the press secretary for Arnie Duncan when Arnie was running the public schools of Chicago and was the education secretary under the, in the Obama administration. He did not have an official job with Rom. But as I always say, if Rom said anything sensible, uh, it was probably because he had a conversation with Peter. Uh, Peter's really? He's like the guy who reaches really? out to lefties like me. Uh, and uh, he's still playing that role and function. He's kind of a, a lefty, kind of a lefty himself. Kind, kind of, of yeah. Myself. <laughs> he kind of buries it when, uh, when he's having a lunch with uh, the dailies or what have you. But, yeah, it is hard to heart. And all, everybody in his freaking family's left, by the way. I just got to tell you that right now. Um, all right. I think David Moore is still not take uh, cut us off. There we go. I think he has. All right. Uh, so, Peter, let's start with uh, what's in today's uh, Tribune, uh, an essay uh, written by Arnie Duncan. That's headlined, Why I'm Not Running for Mayor of Chicago. Uh, of course, I immediately concluded, uh, thought that you wrote it. I know you're going to deny that you wrote it. You definitely edited it before it was sent to the Tribune. That very much we know. Um, general themes of this article are that he has more important things to do that are really true and dear to him uh, than have to go through a brutal campaign and then be mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, is that a, a fair reading of what Arnie wrote in today's uh, Tribune? Yeah, I think that's pretty close. Uh, you know, he is really, really passionate about the violence prevention work that he does. And it really uh, lifts him when he meets with young guys. He's very comfortable around these guys who are at risk of gun violence and both being shooters or being shot. You know, he's very... He really, really enjoys his time with them, helping them, guiding them, giving them, you know, listening to them. And he just was kind of uh, couldn't get over the idea that he would spend the next year campaigning and talking about it, but not with these guys every day. He goes to their homes. He visits them if they end up getting shot. They're in the hospital. He, he meets them in jail if, he, if they get arrested. He meets them constantly at our sites where, you know, they're kind of trying to heal through the program. And it just really, he just couldn't get his head around the idea that, that his work there would be finished. And of course, if he won the election, it would be, you know, he'd be the mayor. He'd have a hundred other issues to deal with along with this one. And he just wasn't ready to like walk away from the work. You know, there are those out there. I may have been one of them who said that uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, throws some sharp elbows. And from the moment that uh, Arnie was just sort of letting everybody know that he was at least thinking about it. She started pounding away at him with all sorts of uh, snipes and criticism of his positions. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe he cut one or two elbows and just backed out of the paint. He's a basketball metaphor. Arnie Duncan used to play basketball. Uh, do you think he was intimidated in any way by the uh, barbs thrown by Mayor Lightfoot? I don't. I really don't think so. He um, 
she was she was attacking him as a defunder, something that wasn't true by any means. He had s- spoken about the idea of rethinking the role of police, and that could include uh, shrinking their footprint so that they could focus more on violent crime. But he's 100% in favor of arresting people who commit crimes. He's just trying to support organizations that reach out to them before they commit crimes and try and get them to put down their guns. And that, 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 that was his point. Uh, so, no, he's not afraid of that. And as you pointed out, he's a basketball player. He's competitive. He's an athlete. And one of his favorite things in the world is to sort of be underestimated. Like, if you can imagine him, you know, showing up on a basketball court and he, um, you know, he doesn't look like a natural athlete. He, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't present like a he doesn't trash talk he doesn't do any of that kind of stuff he just goes and gets his warm-up and then you know goes on and wins a game that's kind of the way he you know grew up and so no i don't think that was a factor at all all right well let's talk about the defund the police accusation uh when uh Artie came out with his uh suggestions yeah uh, that uh, police some of the the roles uh, assigned by police be taken up by other people mm-hmm. uh and that some of the money uh spent on our police department be uh, uh spent uh with social services immediately it was almost like they had the focus group set up ready to go Lori lightfoot who ran as a reformer i just want to remind our listeners she ran as a reformer said right. it was defund the police and yeah. defund the police of course uh fits a certain narrative Democrats have to run away from defund the police. It may be the worst uh, phrase ever coined. Uh, and uh, so pretty much every elected official in America and anybody who's looking for higher office as a Democrat is running away from defund the police. Peter, I don't know how we can have an honest discussion about policing in big cities like Chicago if everybody, including the so-called reformers, uh, are running as law and order. Help me out on this one. No, I think it's a good point, Ben. I think we, we, you know, first of all, Chicago has the highest number of police per capita of any big city in America, more than New York, more than L.A. And that's true today, even though we're down about 1,600 positions from when Mayor Lightfoot was first elected. So she she cut a bunch of positions, about 600 of them. About another 1,000 have gone vacant. And this is something I track every month. We lost... 95 guys in January, and we lost 75 people in February. So do the math. Over the course of a year, last year we lost over 900, about 900 police uh, in a department of about you know, 13,000, 12,000. And we're not replacing them nearly fast enough. So they're disappearing, uh, whether we like it or not. So defunding, if, if that's what defunding means, and defunding is happening right now. But I, I do think it's... A little disappointing for these kinds of conversations to devolve into this kind of, you know, kind of slogan accusations. You know, what he has asked for is a thoughtful public conversation about what we want police to do. Do we want them standing around at traffic accidents? You know, do we want them responding to, you know, a burglary two days later? Is that the best use of a detective's time when we have one of the lowest clearance rates of any big city for shootings and murders? Or do we want them to really focus on violent crime? In which case, we could have traffic aides handle traffic accidents. We could have civilian agencies handle mental health. We could have civilians handle even, you know, property crime. I mean, why do you need a sworn detective showing up to interview you about the fact that 
the bicycle was stolen. You know, you don't need that. It's not a good use of their of time. So that's the conversation he wants to have, and he still hopes to have it. And so that was part of the reason why he wrote that piece in the trip today, because he just wants to keep pushing Chicago to have the conversation that we have been avoiding for too long. Well, which is uh, what, yeah, go ahead, Peter. I didn't go well, ahead. well, which is what, what do we really, really want police to do? What's their highest and best use? Because right now they're doing a whole lot of things that aren't making us safer. Well, you've been coming on this show for about two years saying this, okay? Uh, absent of Arnie Duncan. You, Peter Cunningham, have said this. And uh, it makes sense to me. And yet, when you talk about having a thoughtful conversation about uh, the role of police, I've, I would, I'd have to take the word thoughtful out of that sentence. I have never heard a thoughtful conversation or dialogue or debate on this matter. It immediately turns into you wanted to fund the police. You're soft on crime. Right. Uh, you know, if you're an alderman, you go, oh, I'll take your police. Someone will guarantee stand up at the city council. Go, you don't want your police. I'll take your police. Yep. Uh, and uh, our, our friend, uh, Alderman uh, Rosanna uh, Sanchez, she talked about this. What did Mayor Lightfoot do? She had a press conference uh, in her ward talking about uh, the need for police uh, yep. in the 33rd ward. So she was pounding her on this issue. Peter, I have seen no hope whatsoever of anything resembling thoughtfulness uh, in this conversation. Am I too bleak? Uh, Well, you do uh, trend towards the cynical, Ben, but that's kind of (laughs) one part of your charm, I think. You know, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't run away from it at all. Embrace it. Embrace the inner cynic. But I I, I think that, you know, sometimes in the kind of. um, heated arena of the media and and is he running is he not running it's hard to have that conversation outside that arena i think it is possible and i think the cops frankly would welcome it i mean nobody would benefit more from this conversation than them you know they're doing a lot of things that i think put them in precarious situations that they're not really well trained for like you know domestic disputes now sometimes domestic disputes turn violent and, you know, that's one of the things we have to talk through. Uh, and it, it may be that you have a co-responded program where you have a cop and a counselor show up. Uh, it may be that you have a counselor show up, but he's got a cop, you know, on the radio a block away. Or I, I don't know. I mean, th- let's just have the conversation. I mean, what we can't do is keep doing what we're doing. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, we're, we're spending $1.9 billion on policing and billions more on the criminal justice system. And we're not safer. <laughs> we are simply not safer. And, you know, we spend untold amounts of money confiscating guns. We spend untold amount of money jailing people who are carrying guns. Guys who are carrying guns to pick up their kids at school because they're, set, they're terrified. Even though they have a record and they're not allowed to carry that gun, they do it because they're terrified. And they're terrified because they don't see any accountability. They don't see shooters getting arrested. They don't see police on the street. They don't feel safe. So they're carrying a gun. Uh, By the way, I just want to uh, just make a a slight correction. I don't I'm not a cynic. I just it's where you began that riff. I'm sorry. That's a that's a harsh word. There's nothing wrong with cynics. It's just I want to point out I'm a skeptic. I think a person is skeptic. That's a better word. A cynic is a person who runs for office as a police reformer. Then once in office starts talking about 
bashing Arnie Duncan over the head with defund the police. That's a cynic, okay? I get it, yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a good distinction. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm sure I'll have to make it again in for future conversations. And a skeptic is a, is a healthy thing to be. Uh, yes. You know, um, yes. so. Uh, a skeptic will get you through life. Skepticism will help you get through life. All right. Uh, by the way, I really like that suggestion. I hadn't thought about it yet about uh, civilians taking over the roles for something like investigating uh, stolen bikes. One of the complaints I've heard from folks is that like when there's minor crime, like a stolen bike, et cetera, it's, it's just lost in the system. You know, it's right. The system is just too overwhelming. Real serious crimes are going uh, uh, uninvestigated or they can't solve them. Who can waste their time in something as petty or relatively petty as a stolen bike. And yet it's a very important symbol of, uh, lawlessness. So yeah, hiring uh, civilians to do that is a, a sound idea that the cynic in me uh, doubts will ever be uh, aired in this city. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you know, I, I, I think we're going to run up against reality soon, which is that a lot of people don't want the job. It's become an impossible job, cop, being a cop. Hmm. Um, you know, they don't feel secure in the job. Um, they're inadequately trained. And as a result, they're, they're just at risk. I mean, it, what's one of the interesting things about the attrition rate in Chicago is that it's not just guys retiring. It's guys transferring out mid-career because they just don't want to work in Chicago anymore. Like a couple of hundred of them out of, out of last year, I think, were mid-career transfers. So, I mean, that's pretty alarming. You're losing experience. You're losing, you know, your, your more senior officers. I mean, one of the mistakes we make is that we take a lot of these rookies – and we give them the worst shifts, you know. They're on, they're doing the midnight shift in Englewood. They're doing the midnight shift in Austin, and they're young, you know. They, they, they you know, where's the wisdom? So all the wisdom was working the day shift up in the northwest side of Chicago. That's where he was. So, you know, how do you how do you how do you confront that? How do you change that? And 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 mostly, what's troubling is that it's sometimes hard to get to the truth here. Like if you ask the police to come forward and share all that data about staffing and the average age of the guys on the midnight shift in Englewood, you know, it'd be hard to get that information out of them. They wouldn't want to share it because it wouldn't be a good story, you know. So truth is uh, also a victim sometimes of politics. All right. Now, uh, the um, phenomenon you're talking about, about police officers retiring and leaving uh, the field is uh, nationwide. Is it more pronounced in the city of Chicago? And if so, Peter, in your humble opinion, what is it about Chicago that uh, is driving so many officers uh, out of that career? Well, I have to believe it's more pronounced, but I don't know that for sure. And I would guess that, you know, it's not as simple as, you know, I, I would guess that attrition rates are not high and safer communities. I mean, these guys didn't sign up for war. They signed up to be, pub, you know, public safety people. They, they want to go home at night. They're not, they're not really trained to run into gunfire like soldiers, <laughs> you know. So, and that's what they're facing today. You know, last year, P- Chicago police were fired at 79 times. So that's one to two a week. Somewhere in Chicago, cops were facing gunfire. You know, they're really not, that's a lot to ask of anybody. 
I, I realize they're trained public safety officers, and sometimes they put their lives at risk, maybe often put their lives at risk. But it's still a lot to expect them to face gunfire. And that's it. You know, the year before, I think it was 39. So it's gone way, way up. Don't quote me on those exact numbers. Of course, I realize we're on a podcast, but they're, they're directionally uh, true. That it, it's really risen a lot. Yeah. So that's that's a factor that would make it worse in Chicago. There's a lot more of gunfire and gun violence in Chicago than in plenty of other cities. There are other cities, by the way, that have more gunfire on a per capita basis. I think St. Louis, uh, D.C., a few other places, New Orleans. Yeah. So we're not the highest on a per capita basis, but we are far and away the highest in raw numbers. Well, and we're... There's also the politics of the policing in Chicago. It seems like this police strategies change from year to year. It reminds me of what teachers went through in the 80s and the 90s when a new uh, CEO or superintendent would come in and all of a sudden curriculum would change and everything you were doing on Tuesday you're not doing on Wednesday. And I get that feeling it's the same thing with the police department. Yeah, Yeah, they had whiplash with Charlie Beck came in um, after Eddie Johnson. And um, he immediately said, we've got to put as many guys as we can back in the districts. Let's, you know, let, let's disband these big citywide units because those guys are not accountable and not, they're not, you know, effective. Um, and David Brown came in and he put the citywide units right back together again. Gary McCarthy had them, got rid of them, I think brought them back again because, you know, the numbers get bad and suddenly they're under pressure to come up with some new strategy. I mean, that's, that's counterproductive. I mean, we should know what works and we should stick to it and make it work as opposed to just saying, oh, it didn't work. You know, community policing is a good example. It, you know that I worked for Mayor Daly in the 90s. We announced community policing in like 1993. But it, it didn't infuse the whole department. It wasn't something that every cop was trained to pursue, to go out, build relationships, build trust. It was more like each district had a couple of community liaison officers. That's very different than really getting all the guys on patrol to start to do their job very differently. And then it's the same thing now. Community policing is a pilot program. It's not, it's not system-wide. They call it neighborhood policing now. They just changed the name. So st- strategy changes are often just driven by the fact that whatever they're doing now didn't work, so come up with something new. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, there's just... Uh, these very Chicago-esque stories, like the one that's been playing out uh, in the Sun-Times for quite a while. Uh, I don't know if... uh, I know know which one you're talking about. Uh, Yes, uh, Top Cop Made the Call as the latest story in today's bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times. Good job by Tommy Shuba, Frank Maine, and Josephine Stratman. Here we go. Here's the lead. After weeks of avoiding questions on the issue, Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown acknowledged Wednesday that he made the decision to pull officers off the street after they stopped a car below belonging to the head of eternal affairs during a drug bust. And that, of course, is the one where they pulled yes. someone over and there was heroin in the car. And right. the, the driver of the car turned out to be the niece of uh, the person in charge right. of eternal you, affairs. You know what I thought was ironic about that one was that right, right while it happened, the mayor was pushing the ordinance that would allow for seizure of gang assets. Yes. And I thought, well, this would be pretty funny if the police chiefs if the police uh, you know, commander's car was seized because it was uh, alleged to have been acquired through illegal you know, profits. So now, if, interestingly, that ordinance looks like it's kind of stalled for now, which I think is a good thing because I don't think it was a good strategy. It's another example. Let's go after gang assets. 
these gangs don't have any assets now. They're they're mostly you know they have, there are six hundred clicks and crews in Chicago. You know we're in North Lawndale. That's one of seventy seven neighborhoods in the city. Obviously one of the more troubled ones. But there are thirty different groups just in North Lawndale. Thirty in, in you know what kind of assets do we think they have? These are just guys. <laughs> they're like they're on a block. They're nervous. They're scared. They have guns. You know, they're not gangs, big assets and you know, cars and houses and boats. So as true as what you just said is, Peter, if an elected official said that he or she would be bashed and that he would she would be bashed. I know. Well, Arnie said it, but he's not an elected official. Yeah. Arnie. No, he's a defunder <laughs> of police. <laughs> uh, nice. He's a defunder of police. That's what he is, according to Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, and now, by the way, I, I texted you this. As soon as he announced he wasn't going to run, all of a sudden, Mayor Lightfoot, what a public servant. What a great. <laughs> well, <laughs> and you say I'm cynical? Oh, well, my goodness. Uh, listen, you know, I, 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 you know I, I don't want to hold her to a standard that all other politicians uh, don't meet. You know, the, the truth is, you know, she's doing what a lot of people do when they need to get elected. You know, she's facing a lot of pressure, um, you know, and I mean, we did a poll and it shows that she's, you know, she's, she's got a, she's got a hill to climb uh, depending on who opposes her. And, uh, you know, so whatever, she's not looking for an enemy now in Arnie. She was worried that, about him and she should have been because he, he would have been very, very competitive in that race. Yeah. All right. Uh, more and more, I'm starting to think uh, that Chicago uh, is a city of not a tale of two cities, a tale of two narratives. And I think about <laughs> this in terms of policing uh, on a lot of issues. Something just crossed my desk this mor- uh, morning, right before you uh, came on right before we did the show and it's a press release from brandon johnson cook county commissioner brandon johnson uh who is um very close to the chicago teachers union we used to work for the chicago teachers union uh i would definitely say brandon is of the leftist persuasion mm-hmm. and um uh here's here's the press release spend our tax dollars on critical community needs not surveillance cook county residents of chicago are making bold demands from their elected official leadership prior to ours prioritize and invest money in public safety solutions that work and end incessant spending on police surveillance tools such as spot shotter and then he goes on to denounce spot shotter and Mm. i read this and I know a lot of my guests come on, and you know we, uh, we trend left on this show, Peter. A lot of my really <laughs> with Peter Cunningham. God, um, oh my God. I, I should have done more research before I came on here. Uh, so, Peter, what a world! I mean, Brandon makes I think it's a legitimate argument uh, uh, to get rid of shot spotter. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I, I feel differently. I feel like these tools are important. You know, if, if, you know, I, and the guy I worked with in the last race was Bill Daly. He said, we should have a camera on every corner. I'm not sure he's wrong. I mean, cameras help you find guys camera, you know, cameras are probably deterrent in some cases. I don't know, but you know, what are we going to do? I mean, we can't have a cop on every corner. You know, it'd be too expensive. I mean, we'd need 50,000 cops to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so 
what's so bad about ShotSpotter? I know it costs money, and I know that it also doesn't work perfectly, you know, and it, I think the report came out from the IG saying that 80 and 90% of them were false alarms, so <laughs> well, maybe we can fix that. it. Yeah, no, 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 but I mean, maybe it's fixable. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. What, what do you think? Are You, you against... just answered your own question. What? I don't know what's wrong with ShotSpotter. Other than 80 to 90% of the, the reports are erroneous. Other than that, it's fine. Uh, well, but I mean, again, it's just it's just an alert. It's not a doesn't you know doesn't lead to a false arrest necessarily, does it? Uh, but my, my point was, it's uh, two narratives. Uh, I like I said, I don't see. Uh, I cannot imagine anybody who's not of the uh, from the left making this recommendation. It's very similar to what's going on with mask mandates. Uh, yeah. Keisha Collins, who um, from a state rep, was the one state rep who voted against the mask mandate rule uh, in the. Uh, the state house, and she did it for symbolic reasons, Peter. I don't know if you followed that one, but she I, said, I missed it. No, what was her reason? Well, it's, it's she gave. Uh, she wears a mask, so, uh, and I, as I do, I, if I were, uh, I would be wearing a mask in the state house too. I've got my fears, but uh, anyway, as she said that in her community, uh, the COVID um, vac- vaccination rates are low, and uh, there's a lot of vulnerable people, and she does. She takes very serious the fact that this could be a killer disease and that just this could be an ebb. This could be just a momentary drop. Uh, And yet the narrative driving conversation these days is it's over. We don't want to deal with COVID anymore as a reality. We have to move on. Uh, And so she made a symbolic vote. I or it's, or, or it's the freedom narrative. It's freedom, freedom. I have the right to not wear a mask. A mask. So you have the right to infect others. You have the right to put others at risk. No, you don't. You don't have that right. But anyway, you, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Well, the freedom narrative is such a joke. And I just yeah. got me started. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has been articulating the freedom narrative while COVID uh, cases were high. Yeah. And he would say, you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask, but you shouldn't mandate that to someone. Now yeah. that they've dropped, he has this press conference and he has these high school kids standing behind him. And he says, take your masks off. Right. I'm like, dude, I thought you were in freedom. I thought you yeah. believed in freedom. No, Is it freedom no. for you and not for the rest? And don't say gay. Whatever you do, don't say gay. Yeah. Don't, do you, you know about that one? Yeah. Don't yes. say gay rule and don't teach about race. Yeah. Don't talk about it in the classroom. Don't teach about slavery. Okay, can't we just you know, can't we just kind of like all agree that times are better and you know stop 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 dwelling on the sins of the past? All right, so let me ask you this: uh, yeah. I, I worry about my beloved Democratic Party with their focus groups and their polls, <laughs> and they see that like DeSantis is picking up with suburban uh, housewives uh, outside of Miami, and they go, "We have to go easy on teaching race in school, or we have to go easy on mandates, or whatever." Like DeSantis pushes the conversation right, and then the narrative for uh, Democrats is to follow him so that they can distinguish themselves from the left. Uh, so, I, that's something I'm concerned about. Do you share my concern or do you think I'm exaggerating it? I do. And it gets to a fundamental problem for those of us on the left. I, I think I've said this on your show before and I'll say it again, which is that culture drives politics and politics drives policy. So policy is downstream. Culture is upstream. Okay. 
And Republicans have become masterful culture warriors, while we are way downstream debating policy issues. Should Build Back Better be a billion and a, a trillion and a half or a trillion and a quarter? Should it, you know, hit families earning less than $62,000 a year or should it serve families more? Nobody's engaging with us in that conversation. They're engaging with the other one. Do we want government in our lives or do we not? Do we want a safety net or do we want not? Do we want freedom and security or do we not? We have to learn to have to, to lead those conversations, to bring home to people that these issues are about their everyday lives, not about some 10-point plan. We, we fall into the trap over and over again. And, you know, Republicans have figured that out. Donald Trump figured it out. If he could figure it out, why can't we? Well, so then what would be uh, a Democratic position on teaching race history in the schools if the Republicans are doing such a great job of driving uh, the narrative uh, on culture uh, politics? How, in your humble opinion, should Democrats respond? Well, I would think that, you know, first of all, there's some values at the core of this, which are truth, right? There's things like inclusion. There's things like uh, um you know, open-mindedness. There's things like learning from the past. There's all kinds of sort of values that I think we can lean into that are different than saying, I want to be able to convince, uh, I, I want to make white kids guilty for, you know, for what happened 200 years ago, which is what they're saying. That's what they're saying about us. That's not what we're trying to say. What we're trying to say is teach kids the truth, teach them to get along, teach them to function in, together in a society, teach them how society tends to um, tends to isolate, limit, uh, exclude certain people. You know, I think most people, when you put it in those terms, favor it. But when you put it in the terms of, do you want to blame white kids for slavery? Today's white kids for slavery from 200 years ago, obviously they're against it. So, you know, I don't know whether that would work, but. I would have that conversation about values before I have the conversation about curriculum specifics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I feel, again, this is the skeptic in me, uh, that no matter what you said would be turned into the other thing. Well, uh, they, they do that. There's no yes. question. You know, they did that with defund, you know. Yes. Defund was a, was a call uh, of, of frustration. And, you know, what should have happened is that we should all learn. Well, first of all, it wasn't a, a well-chosen phrase. But secondly, we should define it more clearly by what we mean uh, or, or don't use it. You know, Arnie never used it, um, but he certainly believes in Black Lives Matter. And he believes, you know, that that the system is unjust and he believes that policing is broken uh, but, you know, he also believes that shooters should go to jail. <laughs> so. uh, along those lines, uh, we've been uh, having a debate in this show. Uh, well, it's not really a debate because <laughs> there's no really uh, anybody on this show that uh, disagrees with me. But I had Dave McKinney on uh, from BEZ, yep. a great investigative reporter. And he did a story mm -hmm. about uh, Ken Griffith's holdings, uh, in his company's holdings in, uh, in manufacturers that produce guns. 
and he was pointing out uh, the obvious that uh, Ken Griffin is uh, spending money on commercials that pound the Democrats for crime, and yet uh, he has investments in com- companies that make guns that are being used to kill people in the city of Chicago. Yeah, uh, Ken Griffin responded by uh, with a letter to the editor uh, that called uh, Dave McKinney essentially his research anyway uh, political correctness and virtue shaming. Uh, so your position, please, on whether gun manufacturers uh, should be held accountable for the carnage uh, that their product uh, creates. A hundred percent. And the fact that our laws do not facilitate that is a failure of our legal system, of our legislative systems, uh, of our constitution even. I think they should be held accountable for their products, just like auto manufacturers are accountable for their cars for their products and lots of other makers of things are accountable but you know you know the real failure is that we have legislatures all across the country that are unwilling to take on the gun lobby i mean we have we have open concealed carry in illinois don't we yes yeah and i think it just passed a few years ago how could that pass in this day and age because, you know, people are afraid. Why are they afraid? I don't know why they're afraid. I don't know why they're afraid to go down to downstate Illinois and sit in a room with a bunch of gun owners and say, how many of you have firearm owner's ID? How many of you uh, own guns? How many of you really oppose reasonable laws so that we can track guns that are used in crimes? Most of them would say they support them. I mean, at least all according to the polls I've seen, most gun owners support common sense gun safety laws, but the industry spends so much money to deceive people and tell them that we're going to take away your guns. We're not going to take away your guns. Yeah. Uh, if way, I was president, maybe we'd take away your guns, but I'm not running for president. Well, uh, uh, Beto O'Rourke made that mistake when he was running for president. <laughs> yes. Uh, and it may he cause did. him to, <laughs> he may lose the seat. So you have to be cautious. I understand this. Uh, as a, even as a lefty, I realize this. Uh, when you go out to uh, the wider arena and you're not just uh, appealing to your base, you have to win people over. Uh, and Isn't this what I've been saying on this show, like, since 1974? <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, we can be progressives, but we do need to win elections. Otherwise, we have no power, yes. no ability to do things. So, you know, I'm, I'm, like I say, I think I'm as progressive as almost anybody. But I'm a pragmatist when it comes to politics because I've, I've watched too many good people go down. I've watched too many people get elected and they can't get anything done because they can't play the political game well enough. Well, it's funny you should mention that. I just wrote a column. Uh, we're about Michael Joseph Madigan and his legacy, yeah. uh, which, of course, everybody is shunning because they praise Michael Madigan. Uh, yeah. So now, you know, he's the third rail right now. But uh, that's okay. I don't mind being shunned. Uh, and uh, the point, I called him a pragmatist. I said, Michael Madigan's not a progressive. He's a pragmatist. Uh, and as such, to your, uh, Kelly Cassidy explained how he uh, sort of linked a marriage equality with uh, concealed carry to get him through uh Mm-hmm. The same two bills to two different audiences mm-hmm. got him through the house. Uh-huh. Uh, he's a master of the game, or he was yep. anyway, until yep. uh, he got a little too greedy. And yep. uh, I, I've, I think that um, the problem is 
is that you become so pragmatic that you believe the worst things about your base that the other side says. And that's what I'm worried about. Uh, and I saw it with Lori Lightfoot pounding Arnie Duncan with defund the police, where you start using the rhetoric of the far right yeah. to undercut essentially right. your political base. And that just just. Yeah, I think that, that was a piece for disaster. Go ahead. I, I agree. I agree. It's 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 just not honest politics. It's just, you know, those two words don't often go together. So <laughs> uh, whatever. Honest politics. But nevertheless, it's not it, it's not honest. You know, I mean. You know, Arnie, when he was thinking about running, and even though he's not running, he's hoping that we can talk more honestly about what works and what doesn't work. Okay, like, you know, David Brown created the citywide unit. Is it working? If it's working, just show us how it's working. It was funny. He created it in April or May after he came in in 2020. And crime dipped a little bit in August. And he stood right up and said, hey, it's because of our citywide unit. And crime went right back up in September and October. And he didn't stand up and say, well, I guess the citywide unit didn't work, right? So it's just dishonest. Like, just let's just, I mean, lives are on the line here. It's kind of like the electronic monitoring thing. You know, I mean, she comes out real hard against electronic monitoring, puts out a bunch of numbers, and the Tribune debunks them all. Like, okay. <laughs> so can, can you stand up and admit you are wrong? Or can you come out with new numbers? Or can you stand up with Kim Fox and say, these are the numbers we can all agree on? Or no, your, your, your neck is out there now. Now you've got to defend your position, even though you know it's wrong, even though the front page of the newspaper said it's wrong. That's what needs to change. And, I, you know, I'm not sure how to change that, uh, except to keep trying. So I feel like I didn't answer something you had asked me. Uh, no, you did a satisfactory job, and you took it back to lawyer. You're, you're, Artie Duncan may have... Uh, Decided he didn't want to get into the the race, uh, but Peter Cunningham, he's got those elbows. That's what the see. No, he's no, more I, of a dump shot shooter. Cunningham's going down for the rebound. Okay, so it's, he's fixing it up. I no, I, I actually, uh, you know, I, I I have no hostility towards towards the mayor. I think she's done an okay job on some things, and I think she was dealt a really really tough hand. I do think that um, that an awful lot of situations seem to escalate into acrimony that maybe don't aren't needed uh and you know that's something that that anybody should reflect on but that aside you know it's a really really tough job uh and according to our poll she does a pretty good job on some things uh not on others especially on crime there's a, a feeling that the city is not doing a good job um for obvious reasons yeah. so you know Nothing, nothing, no personal animosity here. Just, just frustration that, you know, public debates can't, can't rise to a higher level because, you know, people are dying. I mean, it's, it's got real consequences here. It's like, you know, watching the teachers union in the city debate masks. How come we can't like sit down together, talk about what science shows us, what the facts show us and come to some reasonable agreement that doesn't force kids out of school, that doesn't, you know, isn't based on fear and threat and rhetoric, but it's based on facts. All right. Well, I'm not going to relitigate that one. I think we had a very uh, specific conversation. I just lo urge everybody to go check out that last uh, interview we did. I did with uh, Peter, our conversation, as you call it, uh, where I was 
pointing out the inadequacies of Chicago public schools uh, in dealing with, which was a very serious a surge uh, that we came. It's so weird to think of the world that existed in January 1st, Peter, but we were in the midst of a very serious surge. Uh, so now we're in a different world. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so like, like, I don't, you know, like, well, they're arguing about whether to lift the mask mandate. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know if that's a good idea. But again, we had we, here, here's the deal. They had an agreement that we're going to have masks. And now the politics is such that they want to lift the mandate. There's a different narrative out there. So they just classic Chicago. This gets back to what I was talking about. The police We're forget the agreement we had. I know we had an agreement. And I know it was a very contentious debate before we had the agreement, but now we're throwing the agreement out the window. If you don't like it, we'll pound you. <laughs> and that's Chicago. And you wonder why so many police are leaving and teachers are leaving the profession. There's no consistency in this city, Peter. It's just arguments at the very moment driven by what's in the newspaper at that very day. You know, you agree with me on that one. Maybe maybe the media is the problem, Ben, do you think? <laughs> That's masterful Cunningham. He switches the <laughs> All right, we'll close with this. Uh, I'm not going to get him to pin down on that one. Uh, all right, Peter, uh, the Sun-Times, my beloved Bright One Home delivered every day. Uh, when Arnie left the race, they, uh, Fran Spillman wrote a story. She had all these different personalities. Yeah. Uh, lined up as the next uh, mayor. I loved it. Uh, she took out Gary, your old friend, Jerry Chico, your uh, Paul Vallis, your pals from the Daily Administration yeah. back in the 90s. Right. Uh, and uh, Anna Valencia, she's running for Secretary of State, but if she loses, she can run for mayor. Right. <laughs> uh, right. So uh, do you have uh, somebody from that list that you like that you want to promote right now as uh, a strong mayor for, uh, a, excuse me, a strong candidate for mayor? I don't. And you correctly pointed out that I know Paul and Gary. I've worked with, with both of them uh, at different stages of their career and mine. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of new names, uh, but I don't see anybody. And I kind of agree that if Anna Valencia loses the Secretary of State's race, that isn't exactly the perfect uh, platform to stand up and run for mayor. But whatever. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know her very well at all. I know her name. She looks like, um, you know, like maybe she could be a pretty good candidate. So who knows? Um, you know, the Latino vote is low in Chicago to the extent that, you know, people vote race, which a lot of people still do. Um, but so we'll see where that goes. Uh, you know, the trick is who's, who, can, who can cross bridges, right? So I think... Um, Black vote was 34%, white votes 44 Latinos about 14 So she would have to really build a bridge. Um, and with Mayor Lightfoot in there, you have an African-American. So, I, you know, I'd have to really think through what would be her strategy uh, to, to. And again, the goal is just to get in the runoff, and that depends on who's in the eight-way. Uh, you kind of have to assume that Lightfoot will be one of the top two. Um, so... Yeah, I don't have any uh, any kind of inkling about who's strong. You know, I've heard a lot about Cam Buckner. Sounds like an interesting guy. He's got um, some law enforcement in his family's background. He worked in New Orleans, so I've heard a lot about him. I've never met him though, so who knows? Uh, Cam yeah. Buckner will be a guest on the show next week, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah. All right, Peter, I'm going to let you go, but before I do. Uh, 
Peter's also a rock and roll musician. Do you have any gigs you want to promote before you uh, walk out the <laughs> I, door? I don't, man. I should have booked one before I came on the show. But no, nothing. But thanks for asking. And thanks, as always, for what you do, Ben. Not the cynic, the skeptic. There's an important <laughs> distinction. And I'm Thank glad you. we uh, cleared that up. If we agree on one thing, there is a distinction between a cynic and a skeptic. All right, PC, thank you very much. Okay, uh, well. you, you go back the rest of your day. That's Peter Cunningham, a good friend of the show and a great guitar player, ladies and gentlemen. He knows how to do a bar chord. I also mm-hmm. want to thank uh, David Moore, who running for Secretary of State, Alderman David Moore. Uh, and, folks, it's more than a two-person race on the Democratic side. So just, you know, this bunch of experiment a little bit listen to what somebody else has to say who isn't endorsed uh by party leaders just saying that alderman david moore from the 17th ward of city of chicago also want to thank the man the myth the legend the pride of joy of alton illinois without whom this show would be possible and as peter cunningham and Ann david moore will tell you back home in alton they call him dr d and the d stands for demarvelous keep yourself raised take it out of petty cash peace and love everybody